Our scripture today is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 24. Hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate you, hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred, and I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we're continuing a series that we've been doing since the beginning of the summer on Christian practices that you can do at home, that you can do in your daily life. The idea is that these are Christian practices that have been around for millennia and sometimes even predate Christianity as we see in this psalm today that there is a sense and an idea of the practice we're going to look at today of being aware of God's presence even within um, ancient uh, Judaism and in, in the days of David and in the, in the writing of the psalms. And so we, we are aware that these practices go way back, but we've often lost touch with them. We've lost a sense of them in our daily lives, and we have begun to miss out on the advantages, the benefits of practicing these things for ourselves can bring to our faith journey, our faith life in relationship with God. So we've looked already so far at, uh, in the first week, silence and spending time in silence and solitude before God. We looked at the model of Jesus, that Jesus would regularly pull away from others and go off alone to spend time with just the Father. We, we looked at the fact that God says to us, be still and know that I am God, sit before me. And so 
this is kind of the cornerstone, the bedrock in which we are building these different disciplines off of. And then next week, built on that, we looked at the idea of listening and intentionally developing a spiritual uh, listening, a spiritual ability to hear God's spirit moving in our lives and directing us and guiding us through our daily lives. And so we looked at that in the second week. And then last week, we looked at fasting. Uh, a practice that is actually getting rid of something, taking away something from our life that we um, need or that we're used to or that when we take that away, we're going to have a little bit of a void there. And for the purpose of recognizing that God's presence in our life and God's spirit in us and God's direction and will for us is so much better than anything we can get in our own, um, on our own volition through eating food or through um, you know, watching TV or all the other things that we fill our life with. And so by taking away one thing, we instead commit ourselves to filling what we would normally spend in time doing that thing, seeking God instead. And this week we come to a kind of abstract concept, awareness, and an idea of being aware of God's presence in your life. And yet this is a very old practice of regularly recognizing that God is there in your life and being sensitive to the presence of God in your life so that you might be able to respond to God's movement in your life and see God's movement in your life. And this is an old promise of God. We can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. And we see in the very beginning of creation, as God is showing us the story of his love and his relationship with us, we see that even after Adam and Eve sin, God shows up in some kind of a physical form, is, is what this, how the story tells us, and is walking in the garden and looking for Adam and Eve. Now, if we believe the other things about God in the Bible, then we know that God knew that they sinned, that they had already disobeyed the one command he had given to them. But they, he still showed up. He sought them. And it wasn't God who was hiding his face from Adam and Eve in that moment, but it was Adam and Eve who were hiding from God as they cowered behind a bush, terrified at the fact that they had just disobeyed their creator. But this promise continues to go on. And if you look at the story of Israel over and over and over again, God is assuring them of his presence with them. In fact, the entire story of the Exodus, as the people of Israel are led out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into the desert, they're in the desert as they are wandering for 40 years, even after disobeying God, even after they turned their back on him and they complained and grumbled and they didn't believe that God could give them the promised land and God cursed them to that, that generation to spending their whole lives in the desert. God still showed up daily. He showed up in a pillar of cloud that would come and rest on the tent of meeting. And in the evening, it would turn into a pillar of fire representing the presence of God with them. And we see Moses go up on the mountain and come back and he's glowing literally from the absorption of the holiness of God and spending time in God's presence. But we see this even further into the story of Israel today when we look at this psalm. 
Psalm 139. And it's written by someone who is deeply pained in their own lives and is going through some struggles, is struggling with the world that they see around them that's unfair and people who are rising up against God, maybe even rising up against them. And they're struggling with this. And yet, in their prayer to God, they recognize and they practice an awareness of God's presence. God, you are with me. Before I even uttered a word, before I even was, you knew me. You knit me together. You're the one who made my life what it is. So this psalmist is casting themselves on an awareness of God's desire to be present with them in their moment of need of God. And we see God continue to promise this even in the exile. In Isaiah 57, God says that he dwells in high and holy places. But then the amazing next sentence is that he also dwells with the contrite and the lowly. That he not only dwells in heaven up where we cannot see God in God's spiritual realm, but God dwells with us, the lowly here on earth. If we are contrite in heart and we seek him, we will find him. God says this to them again in Jeremiah 29, that if they seek him, they will find him. We see this carried over into the New Testament as we begin to learn about the story of the early church. And Paul, in Acts 17, as he is in Greece and he's, he's sharing the philosophies of what Jesus, or really the good news of Jesus, among the philosophers of Athens, he points to one of their own um, poets. And he says that God is everywhere and in him we live and move and have our being. And so Paul's recognizing that even the pagans understood that God's presence permeates all things and that God's presence is all around us at all times. And Paul would later say it in different words in his letter to the church in Colossae. And he would say that in Jesus, who is equal and is God, that in Jesus, all things were created. And in Jesus, all things are held together that by the power of God, this creation continues to have its existence. Even now, your molecules and the, the atoms and the, the smaller things than atoms that I don't know anything about, uh, those things are held together not by some kind of random uh, sense and processes, but instead by the power of God holding them together so that you and all of this might continue to exist. And so God is present in his creation. He's not like what deists might say that he's this grand clockmaker that made the clock, wound it up at the beginning of time, and then has stood back and watched it play out since then. That is not the God we serve. The God we serve in the scriptures regularly shows up, regularly participates in his creation, and regularly intervenes for his people and regularly promises his presence. Jesus right before he ascends into heaven, gives his disciples a commission to go and to make more disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. But then he says this as a promise, and I will be with you until the end of the age. And we see in his discourse with his disciples at the last summer as he's, at the last supper as he is 
um, preaching or he's sharing with them final words before he goes and takes their sin upon himself on the cross, he promises them that he and the Father are going to send the Spirit on them so that God's presence might dwell in them for all eternity. And the Holy Spirit becomes this symbol of God's presence with us and, and the reality of God's presence with us daily. And so we have all of this scripture that shows us that God is present with us. And yet, we often feel like God isn't present with us. In fact, the psalmists often felt like God is, isn't present with them. David often felt that God isn't present with them. If you look in Psalm 10, it starts out, how far away from me are you, O God? Why are you so far from me? If you look at Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? And so there are times in our lives that even though we have been given the promise and we might have the intellectual knowledge that God is with us, we miss out. We miss out on God's presence because of something going on in our life that, that hurts or hinders our ability to be aware of God's presence. And it feels to us like God isn't there. I've experienced many of these times in my life. And I'm sure that most of you, if not all of you, probably if you were really honest, all of you have also experienced those kind of times in your life where it felt like God wasn't near, God wasn't present. And Jesus actually gives us a little clue as to reasons why we might not be able to receive the word of God into our hearts or that we might not be able to receive God's presence for us and God's will for us in the parable of the sower. And he gives this parable where he says that a sower goes out and just throws seeds into the field indiscriminately. Now he prepared some parts of the field beforehand, but he just kind of throws seed indiscriminately. Some of the seed falls on the hard trodden path where the, the people have been walking around and it's not part of the plowed up ground and it's just hard ground. And so the seed just sits on top of the ground and birds come and they kind of take away the seed. And some of the seed falls into rocky soil, soil that, that even though it's been tilled is filled with all kinds of other things that aren't good for the plant. And so because of that, the, the plant is not able to grow real deep roots. And as soon as it sprouts up and it begins to get the scorching sun, because it's not deeply rooted into the soil, it withers away and it fades. And then the third so seed falls onto thorny ground, ground that's got all kinds of other weeds and things like that in it. And so as it grows up, it's competing with all the nutrients that are going on inside of the soil and, and it's outcompeted. And so it fails because all the weeds choke it. And then there's the fourth soil, the fourth soil where the seed falls, where everything is good and the seed takes deep roots and grows up and is strong. And Jesus, is, this is one of the few times Jesus explains one of his parables where he's made such a convoluted illustration that he feels like he has to actually share it with his disciples and his disciples later wrote that down and passed it down to us. And so he says the first seed that falls on the, on the uh, rocky or on the hard path is like somebody whose heart has been hardened that cannot receive the word of God. And so there's times in our lives where the experience of our, our lives or where our own sin or other things going on has hardened our heart to be aware of the presence of God. And so we can't. We, we just can't sense God. Even if God might be right there with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of whatever we're going through, giving us grace and mercy and love and comfort, we can't sense it because we've hardened our hearts against it. 
And then the rocky ground is somebody who immediately enthusiastically receives the word of God, but as soon as persecution comes, as soon as something comes that doesn't go their way, they turn away from it immediately. And so sometimes we don't have the endurance or the strength to be, keep recognizing God's presence in our life. And the third soil, the third soil is, Jesus explains, it's the things of the world come and distract and choke out our ability to be uh, receptive to God's word in our life. And so we're not able to because we've allowed everything else in the world to distract us from what God is doing in our life. And then obviously the fourth soil is being able to receive it. So there's ways that we can begin to recognize places in our own lives where things due to our own actions or fault or maybe nothing to do with us, but just things that have happened in our life and the way that we've responded to them or received them, we are incapable of seeing and being aware of God's presence. So what do we do about that? How can we practice on a daily basis being aware of God's presence so that we can begin to receive God's will and word for us as we sit in silence and listening and as we fast and practice all the other practices? How can we become more aware of God's presence? Well, I have two things. The first thing I think that we should be aware of and that we should think about is that you can just practice awareness by setting an alarm on your phone. So get your phone out right now, take it out, and you probably have some kind of a clock app somewhere in your phone, and pick some kind of interval, maybe once an hour, or maybe twice a day, or maybe three times a day, whatever you're most comfortable with, set an alarm, and name that alarm awareness of God. And when that alarm goes off in the day, just take a moment to say this prayer. Lord Jesus, be my guest. Lord Jesus, be my guest. Recognizing that Jesus is wanting to be in your life and wanting to be present with you. And so just invite Jesus in. And so take that practical practice of setting that alarm and being made aware by that alarm multiple times a day or once a day or whatever you're most comfortable with to take that moment to be aware in that moment that God is with you. Now, the second practice I want to give you comes from a guy named Frank Laubach. Now, some of you might know who Frank Laubach is, but you might not know him in the context I'm going to talk about him. Frank Laubach was a missionary, a missionary that mainly worked in the Philippines among a group of Muslims uh, in the mid-20th century. And his whole ministry was about um, serving the poor and those who regularly are um, persecuted in some way or another or have injustice upon them, but he also was deeply passionate about literacy. And he believed that people all over the world needed to learn to read, and he thought that, that actually illiteracy in the world was a great hindrance to peace in the world, which actually has been proven true by other um, social scientists who have studied this, that uh, the less education you have and the less ability you can learn on your own, the, the greater there is for there to be poverty and violence and all kinds of other things going on. And so he was determined to make sure everybody can read. But what people don't often know about Frank Laubach is that he's considered a modern mystic that Frank Laubach struggled deeply in his daily life and journey with God as a missionary, as somebody who had felt called to go and preach the good news to strangers in a foreign country. 
Frank Laubach recognized in his own life that he needed God's presence daily for him to be sustained while he was on the mission field. And he struggled with the fact that he just seemed to not be able to keep his awareness of God at a level where he knew that God was with him moment by moment, even if it was a subconscious level of no, knowledge of God's presence, that there was this, this permeation of his being of knowing that God is there. And so he wrote letters back home as he began to try and learn how to practice the presence of God and awareness of the presence of God in his own life. And he wrote these letters to various family members or friends, to his church, and those are collected in a book called Letters of a Modern Mystic. And you can read them, and they're really, really good. They'll give you a lot of heart um, for yourself to know that, hey, here's a man who committed his life to mission work, and he still struggles the way that I struggle. Sometimes you'll read it, and you'll be like, oh, come on, man. You're like light years ahead of me, <laughs> and you're saying that that's a struggle. But he was further along than a lot of us. And here's how he practiced the presence of God. And here's a practice you can do at home. Pick one hour, one hour during the day. And determine that, that in that hour, you're going to be as aware of God's presence as you can for every single minute. And take that hour, maybe it's the same hour that you set for the alarm on your phone, whatever it is, and keep a piece of paper next to you or keep a notepad open on your phone or something like that. And every single time you are aware consciously of God's presence, just draw a tick mark. Draw a tick mark and do that throughout the entire hour. And at the end of the hour, look back at your hour. Look back at all the tick marks that you made in that hour and see how many minutes you were aware of God during that time. And so, but don't, don't change your life. Go about your normal business. Do what you normally do. Otherwise, it doesn't work. If you just sit down and you make this only about spending time writing a ticks on a piece of paper, you're going to get 60 or maybe more every single time. That's not the practice. Go about your normal life, but have that paper near you. And every time you're aware, put the, the tick mark down. And in this way, you can begin to train yourself to be aware of God's presence every single minute, at least for that one hour. But I guarantee you if you practice it, it'll extend beyond that hour. And if you look back at the hour and you've got 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, great. Whatever it was, it was probably more time that you were aware of God's presence because you were being intentional about it than you would have been if you weren't intentional about it. And so this is a great way for you to practice. And if you do this daily or weekly or whatever you decide to do it in, you can then begin to compare. Maybe your first few times you did it, you had 10 minutes. Then you, you had the next few times 20 or 30 minutes. And the next few times 40 or 50 minutes. And so you might be able to see some progress. Or you might see that one week you had a really terrible hour where you only put one tick mark down. Somehow you got totally distracted. And that might be a clue for you to look at what was going on in your life on that day. And that hour that, allowed, that choked out your awareness of the presence of God. Or that made you harden to the awareness of the presence of God so that you couldn't put those tick marks down. And so Frank Laubach practiced this and he used this. He called it the game of minutes. And you can Google that and I'm sure find more details on it. But he called this the game of minutes, a way of practicing a, an awareness of God's presence in your life that hopefully would extend beyond that little silly practice to an awareness that permeates your entire being so that you would know God is with you every single day. Why? Why should we be aware of God? Well, awareness helps us to begin to experience the thing that we're aware of. 
I mean, if we are ignorant of something being there, then we can't experience the reality of it. And it doesn't mean that being aware will always make you experience it, but it's the beginning path to experiencing the reality of what you have become aware of. And so as you practice the, this, this discipline of the awareness of God, allow yourself to feel um, failure or success or whatever, but just always turn yourself back to the Lord and seeking to know God's presence in your life permeated through your entire existence so that you might praise and worship God in, in pureness and holiness in the days to come. So practice this together. Friends, as you leave worship this morning, remember that God is with you. That God has never left you. God has been with you your entire life and God continues to go with you on your way. And so become aware of God's presence. Choose sometime this week to set that alarm and make yourself mindful of God's presence. Practice the game of minutes that Frank Laubach gave to us so that you might become more aware of his presence minute by minute through your daily life. And may the God who is ever present reveal himself to you in new ways, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year, so that you might fall more deeply in love with him in your life. Amen.